Good morning, everybody. Good to see you, and I'm glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn in John chapter 4, and we're going to pick up on the 27th verse, and I'm going to jump right in today. I'm not going to wait and tarry a lot. We have communion today. I'll give you my communion day disclaimer that um, I'm going to preach the message, and I try to allow for the time, but if I'm a little late, and if you got to leave, you can leave. You don't hurt my feelings. But I, I just, this is so great. I can't quit early today. So, uh, I don't, I don't think it will be long, but I just want to tell you that. We have, always have people here that haven't been here before, so I want you to know if you gotta leave, you can leave. Uh, but, I'm not gonna read God's Word as I always do beforehand. These narratives are long, and I don't wanna take all your time reading, and I'll read the passage as we get there, as we go through it. So, uh, bear with me in that. We are continuing the story of the Samaritan woman last week. We talked about verses 1 through 20, uh, 26, and in that, the, the Jesus encountered a woman at the well in Samaria, and uh, of course, Samaria was a place that no Jew would have gone, no, no good self-respecting person would have gone, and he went and encountered a woman that not even the Samaritans would have anything to do with, because she... Uh, probably had a fairly loose lifestyle and she wasn't even accepted in her own community. So she came to the well at the hottest part of the day when nobody else would be there. And Jesus had an encounter with her and spoke with her and, and she believed in him and who he was. And she went back and told her neighbors. And so today we get the rest of the story and the rest of the story is really important and we don't want to miss it. And we, we don't, we don't want to think for a minute that this is just something that Jesus did. And I, I don't want you to leave that day. This is something I can do. This is something you can do. This is for us. So it's really, really important. Let me read, uh, I'm going to start off and just go, um, to, to my first point. And I'm going to say that our mission, that what we do has priority over everything. Uh, our mission, uh, has priority over everything. Listen to this. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking to her? And the woman left her water jar and went into town and told the man, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? And he said, my food is to do the will who sent me, of him who sent me, and to finish his work. I'm going to pray with you, and then we're going to preach. Father, thank you for your word. Speaking to it through me, a humble and unworthy servant. Thank you for your power that you give us through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So, while Jesus had this encounter, the disciples came back and they had gone to look for food. They were searching for food. You know, there wasn't restaurants and places, so going and getting food was a operation. It was a effort. And so they made the effort to go round up food for Jesus. And they came back and uh, they noticed that he was talking to a woman. Now, they all knew uh, no Jewish man would talk to a woman, not a woman in Samaria, not any woman. And um, But the really amazing thing 
was they knew enough about Jesus not to ask him what was going on. They knew he was a little out of the box from what they thought. They didn't fully understand him. So the Bible says, yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? They just figured the boss is up to something. We don't know what it is yet. And so then John switches right back and he goes, the woman left her water jar. Now, if I go into your kitchen, if you go into our kitchen, you'll probably find a lot of water jars. I mean, they're for all kinds of things. They're plastic and glass and china and all that stuff. This woman would have one water jar. That's it. She wouldn't have a collection of them. That water jar is what she brought water to her family for. It was not something you would just toss out. I mean, if I came to church and every time we have a a, a deal at church, you can come back in all the little containers that are left that people have left things. And they're going to come back and get them eventually, but they're going to manage until they get back. Because we all got different stuff, but this lady only had one thing. She left. She was so excited after she met Jesus that she left her water jar at the well. Nobody would do that. That's amazing thing. And she went back to her town and she said, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And and there's still, if in the Greek, I, I'm told as you read the Greek that you can still see a little question in her. She She's not quite sure. She knew she met somebody different, but she's not quite sure who she met. She knows he was somebody really something. And so she went back and told everybody. I, I have... I have such an admiration for this lady because she had only met Jesus for a short while and she already went back and told everybody about him. And, and you know, it wasn't easy for her to face those people. But she came back and told them what she knew. That's great. Could this be the one? So could this be the one we've been waiting? So they all left, their, left the town. All the Samaritans, they pulled out of their little town of Sychar and they started heading toward the well. And there's Jesus talking with his disciples around the well. And in the meantime, the Bible tells us the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, you got to eat something. You know, you can't just work all the time. You got to eat. It's time for lunch. We brought some food. We're going to get it together. We want you to sit down and eat. And Jesus stopped him and said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Now, they're probably thinking, you have food to eat that we don't know about? I wish you'd have told us and we would have, we would have shared what you have. Because Jesus is, he's thinking about other food and they're thinking about food to eat. You know, I love the disciples because they're like us. While Christ is talking to them about an encounter with a woman, they're thinking about food. And then Jesus gives the key point here in this passage. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. So Jesus is introducing to them the purpose for him being there. His food, his priority, his main effort is to do the will of the people that sent him. Of the one who sent him. That's God. That is his purpose. And to finish that work. I want you to recognize what food is. To me, food is a drive. It's a motivation. If, if I 
eat lunch. If I eat breakfast this morning, about lunchtime, I'll want a little something to eat. About supper time, I'll want to eat again. You know what we do is we kind of plan our life around food. We're always, we're always going after food. When I get up in the morning, after I had a nice meal, we, we had our, our children over. All of our kids were together Friday night. We had a cookout. It was so great. Tanner's going off to Florida to a new place. And so we're, we're getting ready for that. And we had a great meal. But Saturday morning, I was hungry again. I mean, it, it never ends. You know, that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. Our, our food, our, our priority is something you always go after. You're never satisfied. As soon as you get it, as soon as you get it, you want more. As soon as you are satisfied, you stop and start all over again and, and you go after it again. It's something that's on your mind. And Jesus said, my food is my Father's will and it is on my mind all the time. It is what I do. It is when I get up, I think about it. When I go to bed, I think about it. When I finish a day, I start all over and think about it some more. It is a priority to me. That's, that's the food. And what is that food? That food is to do the work, to share God's love to tell the world that he's the savior. That was what he was going to do until he finished his work. And he, and he told us that he told us and John told us in very powerful words. He said, and to finish his work, I'm going to finish it. What's your priority? What's your drive? I, I thought about this passage this week when I was studying. I said, so what drives me? What gets me up and moves me every day? What? What motivates me? You know, the, the disciples were motivated. They were busy getting food. They were busy getting earthly food. They were making sure they had enough to eat. That's what they were worried about. Jesus is out evangelizing and bringing the gospel to this woman. And the disciples are doing not a bad thing, a good thing. But they missed the whole thing. Jesus said, my food is not in this world. It's to go after the work that my father called me. That That needs to be our food. That needs to be the food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. I, he was going to finish that work. He did finish that work. On the cross, he, he labored every day up to the cross. He, he Day in and day out, he drove himself, drove his disciples. He would take breaks and walk, get away, but then he would come back and ride into it. His breaks were strategic. Because they were rebuilding himself so he could do his work. He was a human being. He can't work without rest. But he drove himself and drove himself and drove himself. When he got to the cross, he endured all that the cross had to offer. When it was all over, he said, it's finished. Work's done. I did exactly what God called me to do. I I want you and I, I want me, when we finish, to say we did what God called us to do. That we were faithful with the task that God called us to do. The food... To do his food here on earth. That's very, very important. Okay, number two. I want you to see that. Number two. The mission requires urgent action. Urgent action. Listen to this urgency. And we go down here to verse 35. Jesus told them, don't you say there's still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields for they're ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Jesus knew all these guys were in an agricultural society. They understood what it was like. 
You planted a crop, you ate four or five months, then the crop is there. When their fields were, were white, the wheat would have blossoms and blooms on it, and you could see it would be white. It would be ready. It's time, time to harvest the crop. You know, there's, there's time of preparation. There's, there's a time that we gotta get everything ready. That, that we gotta get the ground ready, gotta plant the seed, gotta, gotta get the seed in, gotta protect it, gotta make sure that it's got enough moisture. All the things y'all know how to do plants, I don't. But you know how that works. Jesus said, guys, I want you to forget all of that. I want you to look out at the harvest. And the harvest is right here. In fact, uh, scholars tell us literally, he could say, look at those people right there coming to us. There's the harvest. I'm going to let you reap something you didn't sow. That's a biblical principle. You know, we, we learn in some ways we reap what we do sow and we, that, that's a biblical principle and that's true. But Jesus is saying sometimes believers reap what they didn't sow. That sometimes somebody else sows it and we get to reap that. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're going to get to reap something you didn't sow. You didn't plant. But the first thing you got to see is that guys, the time for planting is over. It's time to harvest. It's here. It's here. The harvest is right here among us. We, we gotta, we gotta look at that. I, I, I want you to recognize that John the Baptist probably had been there. That Abraham, uh, and Moses had planted it with the law. Abraham, they all knew Abraham in Samaria. And Jesus had laid the groundwork. Now the disciples were gonna, they were gonna reap the benefit of that. I want you to also see in here that in this, there's a responsibility for the sower and the reaper. There's nobody, there's nobody off duty here. Nobody says, uh, you know, there's no real job for you. You, you don't have to do it. We're all sowers or we're reapers. And sometimes we sow and we reap. Sometimes we sow and don't reap. And sometimes we reap what other people sow. And that's the work of the gospel. Everybody, every one of us have a work in the gospel. Every one of us. Jesus said, to his disciples, you guys, you guys are going to reap what you didn't sow. You know, in the church, we do a lot of preparation. We, we train and we prepare and we study and we pray and we work and we get things ready and we establish ministries and we, we reach out to people. And, and that's kind of an ongoing effort. It's going to happen all the time. We're doing it now. We've been doing it and we'll continue to do it. But, but church, I want you to know that the harvest is right here. The harvest is among us. There's, there's people that need to come to the gospel that are right here. That are right here. That you know. That you live with maybe. That you're, they're people that you love and care for. And they need to hear about the gospel. They're, there's, they're, they're your neighbors that you don't know. They're people that you meet every day. The, the, the fields are white with the harvest. They're everywhere. The harvest is around us. Don't, don't think that you gotta wait. And sometimes as we do all the work and we do all the preparation, we get caught up like the disciples do and say, well, I'm, I'm busy doing this or that. And Jesus says, no, the harvest is right here in front of you. And it's a lot more important than anything else that you do. He didn't tell the disciples that, but he said, listen, guys, I'm going to teach you that I'm going to go after something far more important than earthly food. You need to be sowing and reaping. You're going to reap a eternal benefit. Do you, do you notice that word in here? The reaper is already gathering pay, receiving pay, and gathering fruit for eternal life. When I hear the reaper, I, I cringe a little bit. I think that's got to be bad. The reaper's out. Jesus, no, it's not, not bad here. It's not bad. 
the reaper, the harvester. The, the, the one who's going to reap is already getting paid. There are people already getting eternal benefits from the harvest that's out. And he said, you guys need to get on board. Church, we need to be on board. All, all of us. We, we need to be seeking after what Christ told us to seek after. We need to, we, we need to be joining the harvest. And, and I'm going to give you some practical ways to do that. But I, but I, I want to convince you that, that Jesus wants us all part of the harvest. He wants us all saying, yeah, I have a role here. I'm a sower or I'm a reaper. I'm, I might do a little bit of both. I might sow today and might do some reaping. I might sow the same people. I, I, I don't know. Somebody else might reap them. You know, the missionaries that go to a mission field that preach and preach and preach and they leave the mission field and nobody or two families in a, in a mission field is reached and they have sowed a lot but reap very little. Somebody comes in behind them and they keep doing the same work and the same work and they reap the benefits. And they grow a little church and a few years later there's a little church and it's hanging on and gets bigger and bigger. That, that's how it works. We, we all have a role. But a lot of times we Christians, we think, well, I, it's not just my job. I don't, I don't do sowing and reaping. Jesus is teaching us. We all have sowing. We all have reaping. It's all our job. It's very, very important that we see it. We sow and we reap. Number three. It's my last point. Moving right through it. Sometimes I'll do better if I don't use my notes. <laughs> You're missing some things, but it's all right. You're getting most of it. Fulfilling the mission will bring us success. I promise you they will. Jesus promises that if you do what he says, if you sow and reap, it'll bring success. Listen to verses 39 through 42. Now many Samaritans from that area, from that town, believed in him because of what the woman said. She, she, when she testified, he told me everything that I ever did. Therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed. Notice that word in verse 41. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. For we have heard for ourselves and we know this is really the savior of the world. I want you to hear this story. What a great story this is. Here's a woman. She's not an evangelist. She's not anybody. She's by many theologians' definition, nearly a prostitute, not quite. She's had five husbands and has a man now It's not her husband. We'll say generously she has a difficult time with relationships. Jesus met her at a hot well and told her things she didn't know about herself. She was convinced and went back and told her neighbors. I, I want you to... The Bible says... Many people in the town believed. They they believed. I I can't imagine how difficult it would be for a woman that did not even want to face these folks to go back to town and tell them what she had done. You know, she said, he told me things about myself I didn't know. And they thought, yeah, we know some of those things too. But she told them that. It was powerful enough to her that she left what she was doing, left her water bottle, went back and told the town. The town then was pretty fired up about it. And they came forward and listened to Jesus. And then it says that some believed, many believed. And they invited Jesus to come and stay there for two days. 
And then the Bible is very careful to tell us that many more believed because of what he said. And then they said, we no longer believe just because of what you said, for we've heard for ourselves and know this is really the Savior of the world. Do you know, do you know the Samaritans were the first ones to recognize that Jesus is the Savior of the world? Not God's people. Far away from God's people wouldn't, wouldn't be honored anywhere in, in Israel. No Jew would have anything to do with them, but they were the first people to say Jesus is the Savior of the world. Isn't that great? I want to tell you folks, there aren't any unimportant people in God's kingdom. And sometimes we run into people and we think, well, they can't really do God's kingdom any good. They're not very important. They're not very significant. They're not very influential. They're not very powerful. But I will tell you, God has a purpose for people that we often don't see. And that's why we're called, we're called to cast a broad net. And we're called to love people, everybody. We're called to go after people that nobody would go after. Because I assure you, nobody in this town would have gone after that woman. I assure you that nobody would have had anything to do with her because of her background. She turned that around, that whole town, led, led people to faith. I, I think it's one of the most beautiful, wonderful little stories in the whole Bible. Thank you say, Jim. I know. But that's Jesus. And he went and talked to this lady and it's me. You know, you know who I am. I, I can't talk to people and not comfortable. But do you know as a believer that we have the son, we have the spirit of God that resides in every believer. And you have God's power and I have God's power. When we go out of here, we operate with God's power. That's a great thing to know. So a lot of people believe because of this woman's testimony. Let me, let me conclude this. I've got a couple things I want to show you. I want you to see what happened here. Jesus met this woman at the well. After he talked with her and revealed to her, she believed. She believed everything that he said. She went back to her town and told people. And because of what she went back and told, they believed. Many people believed in that town. And they went and brought Jesus. And then after Jesus came, many believed. We have a perfect recipe for evangelism. A believer, a spirit-filled believer, like us, sits down with a person who doesn't believe. And we share what we know. Jesus didn't give a complete message of the gospel. He didn't teach her like he had taught Nicodemus. He simply revealed what, what he knew about her, which was everything. You know, when you sit down with somebody, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to be able to dissect the doctrine of predestination with somebody. If you just tell people what Jesus has done for you, if you'll just tell you, tell somebody how Christ stood with you in a crisis or how in a difficult time you, you felt God's power or how you've seen the change in your own life or you've seen the change in your family. Like, like the man that, that was converted from alcoholism and, and, and you know, he, he, the his buddies he used to drink with were making fun of him and he said, are, are you telling us that you believe in that silly story that Jesus turned water into wine? He says, no, but I'll tell you what, he turned wine into furniture in my house. And see, when we tell people what Christ has done, we, we do just what Christ did with that woman. He, he went to the woman and, and notice she believed. She got it. She, she got the message. And, 
And she was so fired up about it that she went and told somebody else. Because if this is a message worth having, it's a worth a message worth telling. And and if and so she knew this guy was something. He knew stuff that she hadn't told anybody. She hid and protected and guarded, and he just laid it all out. And all these other people believed. And they did then. They did then what we do. They they brought Jesus. And you see, when God gets to working in the life of a people, or gets working in the life of a church, or he gets working in the life of a group of people, then a lot of people start believing. And first thing you know, you have a whole town that believes. And you have a whole community that turned from not even knowing who Jesus was, not having any idea about him, not welcoming him, not caring anything about him, to recognizing that this man is the savior of the world. In fact, I put down there, this is gospel growth by multiplication. We always talk about that in evangelism. And, you know, if I go and share my faith with somebody and they become a believer and then you share your faith with somebody, then that's gospel growth by addition. That's a good thing. That's better than no gospel growth. Or that's better than no gospel or gospel subtraction. (laughs) Which happens in a lot of our churches where, where people, where, where people, the churches are just withering away. Because they're not being faithful to what God called them to do. They're worrying about all these other things and they, they don't do that. They, they don't focus on the will of the one who sent them. They focus on their own will and their own thing and they just kind of, God lets them go. And one day they'll just die. Dr. Paige Patterson said to young preachers a few years ago, many years ago when I was starting ministry, he was preaching at Southeastern and I heard one of his sermons and he said, he said, young preachers, there's a lot of churches that God doesn't need anymore. And he said, just let them die. Don't go there. He said, if they don't care anything about the gospel and don't want to reach lost people and don't want to reach the community, he said, God's not going to use that church. But when people are fired up about the gospel and they go out and share their faith and they get involved in the work of the ministry and they get involved in what the Holy Spirit's doing, and, 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 and I see all of those things in our church. And, and then, you know, you share your faith with your neighbor and your neighbors. And then, and then whole groups of people. Then you start getting multiplication. You get churches growing by multiplication. And, and boy, what a great problem that is. The gospel is far bigger than you and I are. I, I wrote my study this week and had a little quiet time and kids were outside hollering and screaming, but I just turned my music up and I, I want to share with you some things. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, open your eyes and look at the fields. Church, I want you to open your eyes. I, I want you to, I want you to stop looking. You know, sometimes we look down at the ground thinking about what we're doing. I want you to start looking out, seeing the harvest. Open your eyes. Jesus said that. That was, he was very emphatic about it. He said, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ready for the harvest. They're ready. Every, let me write, I wrote these things down. I'm going to follow my notes because I want you to get it all. Every Sunday, guests come into our church. Some are visiting, some are looking, some are, are needing, they're hurting. Please, please go out of your way to meet them and love them and care for them. God may have sent them to our church for a reason. Do you know there are people in our fellowship today that God sent here? And they sent here to serve. We've seen that and God sends these people in here to serve and God, that's how he equips us. And you know, God, every Sunday we have people sitting here that do that, that, that God sent here. Maybe they're just coming to, church but maybe they're looking in god's place go out of your way to love them and make them a part of our fellowship 
The fields are ready for the harvest. Every Saturday, one Saturday every month, we do Hope Kitchen. Do you know our church delivers over 220 meals? We go into over 90, 90 homes every month. Do you know how many churches would beg for an opportunity to go into 90 homes? In our community, almost none. Because I've asked other churches to partner and they don't want to partner with us. But we have an opportunity to go into 90 homes every month. And the, the community in Hope Kitchen, I think we deliver about 25 meals there. And the people that go there, I don't want to embarrass her, but I will tell you, she prays with every one of those families. She leaves out of here at 1115, gets back about 2.30. She prays with every family. Church, I'm praying that somebody will say, I'll go with them and I'll pray with those families. I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll take a little extra time. Do you know what you gotta do? You gotta bring somebody lunch. Everybody wants lunch. Bring them lunch and say, can I pray for you? Everybody wants you to pray for them. You're bringing the gospel right into their home. Fields are ready for the harvest. Last week at Heritage, we had 31 people for our monthly Bible study. 31 people. Now that's our folks and their folks. I know that's preacher math. I got it. But I'm going to tell you, church, that's a small church. I'm praying that somebody will say, Jim, God will lead me to lead that. I'll, I'll do that every week. You know, if you do that every week, you planted a church at Heritage Apartments right down here. You say, Jim, why don't you get them to come up here? They probably aren't going to come up here. They don't, they're not going to come up here. Some of them go to church somewhere else, but they won't miss our fellowship and Bible study every month. Because we bring meals and we love them and care for them. I'm not saying that's a great thing on our part. But I'm just telling you, that's building. That's building the gospel kingdom. Fields are ripe for the harvest. I'm praying for somebody that would do that. At Community First, we're building up events and ministries to reach our community. We're trying to grow God's kingdom. It's slow. It takes time. But... But would would you sign up and help us? Would you join in these events? Would you help us get contacts? Would you give us the names of people that aren't in a church family that don't mind if we contact them for events? We want to grow this to where, you know, there's a lot going on down there. Fields are ripe for the harvest there. SunQuest downstairs every, every week. Every week. I don't know how many are down there today. Last last week we had a bunch of little kids down there. The, these little kids hear the gospel every month. Every every week they hear it. Every time they're down there, somebody shares the gospel with them. They learn what it's all about. They learn the Bible. They learn how God works. They soak it up. Let me tell you, they're soaking up something, church. And it better be about God. We need helpers down there. And Families, we need you to bring your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. We ought to be busting out the seams at SunQuest. If we start busting out the seams and we'll say, yeah, we got to build a new building. Right now, I don't think we need it. But I think we're right on the verge of needing it. If, if we just do what, if we just look out at the field and say, there's a little kid that I can invite to SunQuest and bring him to church with you. Fields are ripe for the harvest. Do you pray every day for God to open a door for you personally to share your faith? Simply put somebody in your life that needs the gospel. Do you pray for that? And I've told you a thousand times, if you pray for it, God will give it to you. 
He's going to do it. That's, I, I guarantee the answer to that is yes. He will put somebody. The reason God doesn't put people in our way is we don't ask for it because we don't care enough about it a lot of times. It's so vital. It's so vital. Maybe bring them to church, invite them to church. Tell them you'll pick them up, sit beside them, love them, take them out to lunch. Let them know that Christ loves them through you, through me. That's how, that's how we do that. Fields are ready for the harvest. I'm going to tell you, our church doesn't need anything to do that. The time is right now. We have all the resources. We have all the people. We have the greatest people. We have great spirit. We have, we have, a, we have money in the bank. We, we have a building. We have little kids. We have young families. We have great experienced workers. We have wonderful active senior citizens. We have a powerful student program. Listen, what are we waiting on? Fields are ready for the harvest. That's not my word. That's what Jesus says. We have to do what is necessary. We have to do what God calls us to do. It's, it's game day. It's daylight. And the darkness is coming. That, listen, church, the darkness is coming for people. The Getty sing a song that I want AJ to sing sometime. It's so beautiful. And it says that souls slip into the night every day. Every day. That's the eternal reaper, too. And there are people that our church has, has, we have an umbrella over those people. And there are people that slip away from us. And, and so I want you to know, you know, Jesus drew that comparison in this passage that the reaper is gathering for eternal life. There is a life and death, eternal struggle going on here. We have people that we can influence for eternity if we'll do it. So the night is coming. The deathbeds are coming. Christ is coming back. People's eternity rests with this. The fields are ready. What, what about you? Maybe you're here and you're just waiting. Maybe you've been thinking and considering and pondering and getting ready or whatever we all do. I put off being a call to ministry for 25 or 30 years. Time's fleeting. If I'd have done it early, I'd be a better preacher and smarter and all that. But, hey, I did what I did. <laughs> but I want to tell you, eternity is one heartbeat away for every one of us. Are you Are you ready for that? Are you ready? The harvest is ready. The fields are ready for the harvest. We have it all. What are we going to do with it? Let me pray with you. God, thank you for your word. Pour it over our hearts and use it. Make us move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.